welcome to the very first episode of the Teaching That Counts podcast. My name is Abel Maestas, and I am a math instructional coach in Ceres, California. I'm super excited to be hosting this brand new podcast that really is just uh, about having conversations with people about teaching and learning math. Most of the time, we'll be talking um, in the secondary level, but sometimes we'll have guests that will be talking elementary math as well. We'll talk with coaches, teachers, administrators, and even some students about teaching and learning math. So in this first episode, I welcome a group of teachers and administrators in a conversation as we begin digging into the book, Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics by Peter Lillijow. I hope you enjoy this first podcast and I hope you enjoy listening and learning with us as we explore this book. Here you go. Here's our first podcast in Teaching That Counts. Well, thanks for joining us today as we start our journey through um, uh, Building Thinking Classrooms, looking at Peter uh, Lilydahl's book, Building Thinking Classroom in the Mathematics, grades K-12. We're here uh, today joined by um, some teachers and admin, and so I'm going to let everybody kind of go around the room and introduce themselves. So first, um, I'm Abel Maestas. I'm an instructional coach here at the Series Unified School District. And I'm Grant McCormick. I teach math at Central Valley High School. I'm Susanna Candiel. I'm one of the assistant principals at Central Valley High School. I'm Sarah Mucha, and I'm a math teacher at Central Valley High School. And I'm Brian Wise. I'm a district education technology specialist. And uh, once upon a time, I taught math a little bit. Okay. Mostly science, but a little bit of math. And I am Mariana Sandoval, and I'm a district at tech as well. I'm Diana Andrade, and I'm a math teacher at Argus High. Uh, my name is Sosa Ogala. I teach at Sirius High School. Um, I teach integrated math one and computer science. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody, for coming and being part of this um, book study. Today, we're just looking at the introduction, and we're going to just have an open conversation about how things went, how it's looking, and then kind of where are we going with um, with the book and where we see this is uh, happening in our classrooms and in uh, for our district as a whole. So um, we'll just kind of start off an open conversation. Um, we're looking at today just the introduction and just kind of the first question, just kind of what stood out to you guys in the in the intro. I liked this like list of the types of students because I was reading it and I was also cringing because I could uh, see some of my own students being like one through five. So, uh, but I think Grant and I were also talking about like the, he really enjoyed the pie chart here um, of the breakdown of how many students were mimicking, how many were faking, stalling, actually trying it or slacking. Yeah, when I saw the pie chart, it was like, it's just interesting that that's exactly how I would probably put the breakdown in my own classroom and how universal it seems that that really is and how uh, that's the result of you know, the systematic uh, norms that we have in math education. Yeah, I think the thing that I was kind of cringing about was like um, that the kids are always so busy, but they're not thinking. And I was thinking about when I was in classroom because I was a math, math teacher as well. And just like um, a lot of the... The conversation that he starts off with, how uh, structured our classrooms are, and my kids were always, when you walked in, like, oh, they're so productive, they're doing so much, but it's all just very, like, 
rote and they're not learning anything and they're not actually thinking and I was just like oh what it made me think of like have you ever driven somewhere you're like you know you're spaced out and you're like oh how did I get here it's all just kind of I mean I'm, I know what I'm doing I'm getting there but none of it is actually any kind of thinking so that was uh, really insightful like oh boy we created this we created this monster yeah and I'm such a numbers guy so I see you know, 20%, 80%, all these things. And what I was fascinated in that same area where you have those five types of students um, is that 20% of the class, like when we're doing the, the I, you know, the I do, we do, you do type, as he was talking about the mimicking, um, the kids that we actually want to try, like we want everyone to try it on their own, only 20% actually do that. Um, the others fall in those other four categories. But Bigger than that, what he saw that was troubling was that in a one-hour lesson, 75 to 85% of students weren't thinking 100% of the time. And so I was like, wow, that is, that is a, that's, that's wild. Um, so that, that was some other numbers that I thought, Oof, wow, that's pretty striking. And the actual kids that were doing the thinking almost were thinking in like 8 to 12 minutes. So I'm like, wow, in a whole hour, that's, that's the kids that, we actually, that were actually trying. So I thought that was also interesting. I liked um, how he defined the student dean. You know what? Because okay. it's just like teaching, right? Because we know we have other things to do within that time period, whatever that time is. Um, as do our students, right? They're one hundred percent not there just to learn. Like they're there for the social aspect. They're there for. Um, you know, all those other things, extracurricular activities, right? So thought that was good to also to be thinking about, you know, we expect them to be there to learn, but they're also there for a lot of other reasons. Yeah, how many of our students do we know that just come show up to be with their friends? Mm -hmm. It's a big like, part. Come, to my, come see my friends. Big part of high school. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody else have something that stood out to you? I mean, I think the first read through this, like everything stood out to me. I was yeah. just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I I did enjoy the like antidote with the um, the teacher in the beginning and how she reached out for help, but then at the end of the day, she really just wanted him to sit down and shut up. <laughs> so uh, just give me problems. it was a little it it was funny. I I enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Something else that made sense was that. Um, I mean, when he talks about like the systemic, you know, how the norms that we have created for the classrooms and how just changing furniture can change your mind. It's like changing, you know, a mind uh, shift. And I was briefly at a different district and they had flexible seating. And as a math teacher, when I walked in and I saw like, you know, beanbag chairs and lawn furniture, I was like, what? I, I had a hard time wrapping my brain around it. But, um, but many of the teachers really, like, they, they said it worked. Like, it was effective in terms of, um, just getting kids, because I was always worried about like, how can kids do math problems? There's no desk, and where do they do this on? And how do you get them to, you know, focus on instruction? You know, it, again, it's just like how the class um, structures are put in place. But I just thought it was interesting that every kid goes into the classroom and all looks the same. So then they're all just kind of like robotically just doing the same things. So a shift in something simple like that can change things. Yeah, that that reminds me so much of, you know, when when we look at the history of, of grading or the history of school, right? 
how a lot of school, the way it was set up was to get people ready for industry, yeah. to be working in factories, right? The bells yeah. ring because we have bells in schools because that's what happened in factories. We have students doing certain things because that's what we needed them to do in factories. Um, that's not where we live. That's not how we live anymore. But it reminds me of that. It reminds me of like we want uniformity within each of those classes because that's what's going to get them prepared for it. Well, in those cases, um, industry in, in factories. So that's that's kind of what that reminds me of. The one other other thing that really I guess stood out to me. We talk about things that are research-based all the time, like, oh, this is research-based practice. This is research-based. Almost to the point that it just becomes something that uh, admin or coaches or people just say. Like, this is research-based. But what I appreciated about this was that he talked about how this is this was 15 years of working with over 400 teachers in two-week cycles and then eight-week cycles to see if it worked long longitudinally. And we started with something, if that didn't work, we scrapped it. If it did work, then we went over a little bit more and then we found those optimal ways. So it was a very like action research based approach. And so I think I'm, I'm very intrigued about the rest of the book because a lot of this came from like you know, 15 years of action research. Um, so it's not so much theory, it's it was something that was found with, within practice. So. That, that got me kind of excited in this. Um, was there anything that you think like was that challenged your own thinking right now? Like you thought, wow, uh, that's kind of not what we do. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say it's so much challenged my thinking, but I'm curious to read on, um, like looking at the 14. Um, like you know how we answer questions and then also number number five and then also number nine how we use hints and extensions mm. I think that's going to be intriguing for me to learn more about and read more about I'm interested in number 11 how students take notes because I feel like my students don't really know how to take notes um, and so I've been trying a lot this year doing like an actual notebook under the document camera trying to model how to do note-taking um, because I feel like that's a skill that they're lacking and they're going to need that for college because the professor will not wait for you to copy down what you need to copy down. They just keep going. So I think that that will be interesting. Also the homework, what homework looks like. I think it might look a little bit different than just a problem set. So. I wouldn't say that it's uh, reading a lot of things that have challenged my thinking yet, but I'm interested in seeing how my thinking will be challenged mm -hmm. by these things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially like looking at <clears throat> the um, norms, right? Or like the um, whatever the norm was, and then like doing the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, like throwing out the furniture. Yeah. Or. Right. That being said, it'd be interesting, you know, to see how these, you know, within these factors, some of the practices line up with our own CUSD norms, mm -hmm. right, and how they might reflect their framework. But 
I think I kind of know how they reflect the framework because we can see that within, you know, the context and the, um, the feedback and um, the content, but norms is the other, like we're, we're, we, we, are, we talk a lot about CSU, CUSD norms, but how do these either reflect or challenge those? I'm very interested in knowing about that. I know uh, for me, um, a lot of the secondary sites in our school district have been working on clarity from one perspective or another. Um, for example, a lot of staffs, uh, a lot of teachers are reflecting now on how they write their learning intentions, success criteria. Are the students playing any role in writing those and, and, and deciding how the learning is measured and how the learning is demonstrated? Uh, so I'm kind of looking, you know, seeing if that will line up at all with what's going to be in the book. To be honest, I didn't really read it before we met just now. I've been skimming through it as you guys have been talking. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do my homework, sorry. <laughs> um, but um, but that's kind of in my mind. And then we've been having these uh, conversations about grading uh, across the board, K-12, for the last probably two and a half years. Um, so I'm wondering if grading practices, uh, I don't see grading listed explicitly in these oh yeah it is number 14 yay 14. number 14 there it is i just didn't get that far on the list there it is okay so obviously that's going to resonate a lot with some of the conversations we've been having um and uh you know uh that's part of our role as ed tech specialists we uh support people with their grade book design and infinite campus settings and we are well aware of the limitations that infinite campus has uh when you're trying to do standards-based grading so um so curious if that's gonna that's gonna come up in the discussion around this book too yeah I'm, I'm here I'm excited to see what what is in the book just because I love the classroom and we were you know in our district or there we have been to, to recent um, very DI very um, I do we do you do so a lot of this was like oh my gosh this is just for me are we have we're really good at that, like our teachers are. And so I can, as an administrator, I, I know our teachers want to, you know, do different and they want to do better, but um, how do we help them do better? Like, that's my struggle is kind of, I'm, I'm right, right alongside them. Like, I don't know how to, you know, this is hard. It does seem difficult and challenging. But, um, I, <laughs> anyhow, so I, I'm curious to see that. And just in kind of what Brian was talking about, like, um, our success criteria and our organization just being more clear that might help support the students and you know like our our stallers our, our fakers our mimickers like so that they could kind of guide themselves like instead of sitting there waiting for the teacher to give you an answer which you know the staller and the faker does because that's what they're used to um then kids if they have clarity then um then they would be able to guide themselves like oh if i'm successful if i can xyz so and I can do X, and I'm not quite at Y, and so I feel like that that aligns with what our district is kind of leaning towards. So I'm excited to see how the book is going to, you know, give us some insights to do that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this because I want to learn about showing grit for my students and see if this book kind of brings it out of them. Yeah. So that that brings up another another uh, point here is like in building a thinking classroom, does that also um, provide students opportunities for building grit. Um, grit can be a lot of things. Um, the best definition I've heard of grit in the last uh, few years uh, actually just came a, few, a couple of weeks ago when I was at the NCTM conference. 
And uh, the presenter said, grit is what do you do when you get stuck? That's the definition. Or what do you do when you don't know what to do? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, what is, how do you get through that? And I, I, I'm glad Susanna mentioned the I do, we do, you do, which was how we were all probably taught to teach in this district, especially in the last 10 to 12 years. Um, we have a new supplemental curriculum. Uh, it's uh, illustrative math. And then what is, is that the same thing in high school or does it have a different oh, open 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 And from what I've heard, that logic is kind of turned backwards now. For in some, in some respects, your lesson starts with a you do, then we move to a we do, and then to an I do. So you flip that. And that, to me, has the potential of building what you're calling grit, you know, because you're, you're, you're inducing this little bit of a struggle uh, because you're giving the students something to solve and something to figure out without giving them a lot of guidance at, at the beginning. And then you're kind of assessing where they are. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I think that's when I taught science back in the stone age, when I started my career, that was kind of how we were taught to teach. So I think things kind of come around a little bit full circle about that. But, um, but I'm, but I am, I am curious what that looks like, you know, because that can really go, that can really go south on you too. If you give them, if you give them all the components and then nobody knows what to do and they all just shrug their shoulders and say, now what, you know, then, then what do you do? Which I feel like that, that's kind of what happened to the teacher in the beginning of this introduction, right? It was like, I don't know what to do. And then they kind of gave up the, the third time. Um, I'm hoping that throughout this book, he, the, he gives us those, um, micro moves and macro moves that he talks about that um, will help in in implementing that kind of a, a, a format yeah. yeah so what he did was with these factors um, they looked at practices that were ideal or optimal for these 14 practices which they felt were the 14 like unique teaching practices that really encompassed everything that the students needed or everything that the teachers do in the classroom. So then each chapter is going to be a focus on that, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, each chapter is a focus. Um, as we move forward, um, we've taken some notes. Um, so uh, Mar Mariana is going to keep uh, notes. We'll share with that with everyone, and then they can take a look at those summaries of some of the things we talked about and some of the things we see. One thing in here that was um, of particular interest to me is that at the very end when he says how to read this book, uh, there are a couple things that are that are pretty good. Um, the FAQs at the end of the chapters, I think, are pretty um, are, are going to be pretty great for kind of synthesizing how it works in our own classrooms. Um, the questions to think about, I think, we'll be using some of those questions in our discussions. And then um, the key point here, though, uh, kind of moving on for our next time, he does suggest that you read chapters one through three and then implement all three of those optimal practices for thinking together. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to one of his sessions. I think you were there too, right? At NCTM. And he does recommend that those first three all go together right away, all at the same time. So I'm thinking that for... Um, for next time, we do kind of a one to three block before we go into each of the other ones. And then we meet and we just talk about one, two, one, two and three and how we can, how 
you feel about implementing those three things in your classroom. Sounds good. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in that session at NCTM, one of the things that stood out to me was <coughs> how do we make change? We overwhelm the system with big changes, not with small changes. And so, and reading about um, how, like, taking the furniture out, how that creates such a substantial change in the environment that you can establish it what you want it to be and uh, challenge what students' home state is and get them into what you want them to. So, overwhelm the system with big changes. Yeah, which is kind of counterintuitive to, especially to the way that we've normally done things. We said, okay, well, we're going to, let's start small. Mm -hmm. And what he says is, no, no, no. You need to make big change at first to change, to like really, um, what is it, how did he put it? To really like break the system, challenge the system. Mm -hmm. um, Do the opposite of what isn't working. Yeah. The extreme opposite. Yeah. And I don't think for this part we're really doing extreme opposite because, um, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you guys are all doing a lot of great things in your classroom that already are part of this. So one of the things also in that last part he says is all of your teacherly craft is still relevant and necessary to make each of these optimal practices work in your classroom. So by no means is saying, hey, look, here you go. You must do everything. It's, it's like these are the practices. Now, how do, you, how do you interweave them with your own style, with your own practice, with the way that you instruct? And how can you build those within your own classroom? Because your, your craft is still important and relevant. So I, I, I really love that piece. So as we move on and we talk more about the book and, and, and we talk about each of these chapters, really kind of reflect on, okay, how does this, how does what I bring to the table integrate with what, uh, with what he's talking about in each of those? Cool. Um, just to hear from everyone, um, real quick, kind of what are your big takeaways um, looking forward? And then um, we'll pretty much end it there. It's a short one today because we we're just looking at the introduction. So can I mention something, Abel? Yes. So in these notes that I'm putting together, these uh, I'll, I'll share it with you guys too, so you can add your own things in there too, or um, pull from, or make it interactive. Um, I'm not the only one that has to take the notes too, if you guys want to add something in there. But um, one of the things that I have is like challenge yourself. Like what is something that maybe from the book that you want to like try or you know start moving towards? Um, and there's like a little checklist of items, so we can make notes of that too. And then we come back to meet together just to kind of see like I tried this or you know I started talking about this conversation or whatever the case may be to make those little small moves just to start off and if you're doing a big move then great like how did what 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 came out of that so I think those are useful too like hearing about that I know in past uh, like book studies that I've been a part of that has always been interesting to hear and see so I don't know how you guys feel about that but yeah I think that's great challenges section yeah yeah I think that's good as we get into the book sure challenges section or what's something I'm going to do right away or something I could do in my classroom. Um, because we just looked at the introduction, I think right now we're just thinking, what is something we're looking forward to? Uh, for me personally, um, the 14 practices there, it's number eight. How do we foster student autonomy? Um, I'm someone that likes to have control in my classroom and I would really love it if students would take on some of that for themselves and how do I make that happen? Yeah. I would like to add to that. Um, for me, when I was looking at the practices, is my room. 
Uh, I feel like I have a very unique room already because I have groups, but everything's against the walls. Now I want students to actually stand up and do work. Mm -hmm. So now how can I move my furniture around so they can get up, do the work, and collaborate as a team and not just talk around the table because mm -hmm. I know it's not the same. Same. I've been sitting here thinking, what if I took out all my desks and those kids walked in just to see their faces, right? Because like today we did, both of my classes did group work and boy, it's hard to get them to move. <laughs> Once they sit down and they find their home, it's like, oh, get up, you know. So it's like, oh, what if I just didn't even have an option for them to sit anywhere? <laughs> yeah. Um, as uh, an administrator at Central Valley, I'm lucky that Sarah and Grant are both here because I'm, I'm looking forward to going into their classrooms. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and just kind of like, learning alongside them because I feel again my biggest challenge is um, how to support teachers, and so I'm I'm lucky that these guys are willing to do the work and just looking forward to the next three chapters. One of them is just like what kind of tax tasks mm -hmm. are you going to give them, and like how do you put your groups together and and how do your kids do the work? And I know that they already have a pretty, their structure of their classroom is already not uh, as traditional as most classrooms in our district in the sense that you guys already have groups um, and things, but I'm just kind of curious and excited to see what you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah, no I'm, pressure. No, I mean, <laughs> no pressure, I really, honestly, no pressure. So, yeah. I mean, I do work with them, but I was a math teacher with them, so. And our mentor. I'm and that's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm also looking forward to the collaborative groups part because I I do have groups, but it's like it there has to be more than just putting them into groups. There yeah. needs to be and I don't know how I feel about the whole every kid has a role. This is you're the timer, you're this, you're that. That's I, I would like it to be more organic and authentic conversations. So um, that's what I think for right now, that's what I'm we're only looking first three chapters. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome. You guys should all. All right. I I am just I'm super interested in seeing, um, like um, um, like was said earlier, what's happening in our whole district. You know how our small group here can start to move things in your teams and in in the whole schools. Um, and to see students thinking, I don't, I know that's, I don't know if that's possible because you're instead of studenting, instead of studenting, right, mm -hmm. right. So um, that's it. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for uh, you guys being here. And then we will schedule our next meeting, um, and then we'll meet next time. Chapters one to three. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.